Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff farm going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick, where all students of Bill Walsh don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Faithful UK Show. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 49er Faithful UK Show. We are recording a couple of days later than usual due to some unforeseen technical difficulties, and the less said about those, the better. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the Week 3 matchup against the six times Super Bowl champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And once again, I'm joined by Brian Davis, as well as returning guest, Paul Hope. Hello, Brian. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hi, Lee. Hi, Brian. Thank you for joining me today and for making yourself available yesterday in our failed attempt to record this show. That was a bit of a debacle on my behalf, but uh, it's fixed now, so today should go okay. At least it wasn't one of those famous non-recorded best podcasts ever. Yeah, that was a bit of a disappointment. Where everything went, you know, perfectly and, and we made all these really, you know... Relevant points. Excellent points. And yeah, and everything was on point And you know, we recorded the best podcast ever and then you failed to hit the record button. So Yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? <laughs> right, so Sunday's game, something happened for the first time in a very long time. And because of the age range of some of the members in the group, I, I think it's important that I, I set the scene for this now. Um, because it was such a special event, even even though it might not seem special, it, it was. So let, let's begin with setting the scene. The 49ers have struggled for the last 20 years to get a decent start to the season. And this period actually includes the successful Jim Harbour era. On Sunday night, the 49ers managed to get their first 3-0 start since 1998. The game had pretty much everything. Turnovers, great defence a lead change with under two minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, the 49er faithful rediscovering their voices at Levi Stadium. All of this culminating in a victory, a nervous victory, but a victory nonetheless. We watched in awe as the 49er sideline trooped off the field victorious to the only fitting anthem of the day. I can imagine every one of you who were listening today would have been thinking exactly the same as the three of us who were sat here today recording the show. And that is, how the hell did we manage to win that game? Luckily for me, I'm the host, and I've decided to shirk that responsibility of explaining that one. So <laughs> over to you, Brian and Paul. Go on, Paul, you can go first. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean... I seen an interview with Richard Sherman uh, yesterday when he said that good NFL teams don't commit five turnovers and win in the NFL. And I just thought that summed it up perfectly how we came away with a victory after turning the ball over five times. Um, Mm. (laughs) I don't know what your thoughts are, Brian, but my negative circled on my notes is five turnovers. I just can't get away with how we came away with the victory. 
Yeah, it was one of the ugliest games I think I've ever watched. Um, to turn the ball over five times, I think we even had more. Well, I know we had more slap snaps than uh, Pittsburgh had as well. It's just like it, it, none of it made sense. Um, yeah, it's probably almost in my top three ugliest 49ers wins that I've probably ever seen. I mean, if you, if you look at it, if you look at the the stat sheet for everything, and 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 it's not the right way of, uh, of looking at football really, but you, you'd look at that and think, well. There's only one team that's really won that game. But like we say, don't want to moan too much because at three and zero we should be absolutely over the moon. And I think we, we you know, we all are. So it's uh, if you if you think everything we've been through for you know post Seifert and then post Mooch and even sort of post Harbour, it's just been it's been brutal, wasn't it? For anyone who's been a fan since like the early to mid nineties, really, even that sort of stretch where we went to the Super Bowl under Harbour, it's. Uh, we're sort of in uncharted ter- territory or, you know, uncharted wars for a lot of people now. So it's, uh, if anyone who's been a, been a fan since around 2004, then they've probably not known anything other than misery for, for a lot of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, if you look at the schedule as well, we've got a real good chance of stretching this out to like a six and two or seven and one. And, and there's absolutely no reason why we can't, because if we can win ugly games like that, there's no reason why we can't go and, and win some of these other games by, you know, not turning the ball over that many times. And I think the last time we were 3-0, and were podcasts even a thing? <laughs> I would imagine not. Definitely not. No. So let, let's take the turnovers. Um, let, let's discuss those. Um, obviously, we had five turnovers. Um, were, were they all preventable? Um, I mean, obviously, there was a couple that Jimmy threw. That to be fair, one bounced out of Breeders' hands. Um, I think was it Pettis knocked one up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could they have been? I mean, I think Jimmy needs a bit of the blame on the interception. I mean, it was slightly behind him, but that said, it just transported me back to that horrible Thursday night game against the Rams a couple of years ago when Hoyer threw the pick six in the first twenty seconds of the game, and I thought, really, are we sitting here watching this again after the two and zero start? Mm. Yeah, so re-watching that, uh, well, re-watching all of the turnovers, what I'll say about the two interceptions. So, Breders was slightly behind him, but he was actually facing Jimmy and he had both hands on the ball. He, he just juggled the ball and he didn't secure it. And the Pettis throw... Yeah, that one's on Breeder. Yeah, the Pettis throw was slightly in front of him, but again, he did have both hands on that ball. And it was almost like a goalkeeper's safe, pushing it over the crossbar the way his hands mm. went up for the ball. So I think we've been very unlucky there. Does Jimmy have some blame in that? Probably it's because they weren't perfect throws, but there were still throws that were good enough for an NFL receiver to catch. Yeah, I'd say minimal blame on on those two throws, I would say. The, the fact that the receiver's got both hands on both of them suggests to me that they've, they've got to make the catch, or at least if you're, if you're going to put it down, you, you've got to... You can't be juggling up in the air, you know. You, you've got, if you're if you're not going to uh, make the catch, you've at least got to try and make it so that you know the cornerback or the the safety or the you know even the big fat defensive lineman isn't going to catch the bloody thing. Yeah. So the one thing I would mention about the Pettis interception, I, I don't know if you've rewatched it, but Jimmy stood tall in the pocket and released the ball as late as he possibly could, knowing full well yeah. he was about to be flattened. And I thought that was good from Jimmy. He stood there. He knew he was going to take the hit. He waited until the last possible moment to throw that ball. And I, th- I think that was an, an unlucky interception. 
yeah, I thought he did really well. He'd be definitely one of my positives for the game. Uh, I think you could, again, looking at the stat line, it, it doesn't look like he had a particularly good game. But if, if you take away those two picks, it, it was a pretty good game. And he, his pocket presence, I thought, was was brilliant all night. And you would mentioned there the amount of times that he stood tall on occasions when he had pressure coming all around him from all angles. And, and he made difficult throws and he did it whilst he was getting hit as well. And he was pretty efficient through the night. It was uh, 14 of his throws went for first downs and 10 of those came when he was blitzed. So that's that tells you that how calm and, and, you know, he was under pressure. And uh, I thought he had the game under control for most of the game. It was uh, some of the throws, I would say, were at an elite level. And if if you look at the way that he bounced back from that adversity and absurdity of those two early picks, the, the stat line does sort of lie to me. I think he was better than the numbers suggest and, you know, throwing at 10 yards a pass as well. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Well, what did we make of the first two fumbles? Um, well... I don't know. I was just, I think for the first time in a long time, we've all were excited for the season opener. I know the game thread mm. on the group started early. I think we were all sat at home positive. And the way we started the game, I, I just was sat at home thinking, are we watching? Is this really happening? Like, it just seemed to be a comedy of errors. That music you've just played summed up how it started. I mean, the first half alone, like you said there, it was just mistake after mistake. That said, I have it as a positive that we went in at halftime only 6-3 down. Yeah. I'm actually glad you mentioned the music there, Paul, because you're probably too young, <laughs> too young to actually make the connection there. And I meant to say this. So for our US friends who listen to this podcast, you may want to go and Google the Benny Hill show, and that'll give you some context behind why I played that piece of music. So the first fumble for me, that was down to ball security. Mustard should really have done better there. Um, and we lost the ball within the uh, the red zone, the Steelers' red zone. The second fumble, which was the botched snap, again, in the red zone, I've re-watched it time and time again, and I'm not sure if it's a Richburg issue or whether or not it's a Garoppolo issue. I think both of them could be to blame 50-50. The ball did look slightly too low, but then again, Jimmy's hands actually looked slightly too high. Yeah, it's it's a very hard one to look at and place any blame on that. Yeah, I think the, the going back to the most one, I think he's he's got both hands on the ball. He, he's got history of doing this um, in the past, and in some ways, his willingness and sort of ballsiness to try and go and get the extra yards and to extend the play has kind of cost him really. Um, and that, if you look at it, is the only fumble that was caused by a defensive play. Yeah, all the rest were our own, or all, all the other turnovers were our own mistakes. The fourth one, I'd probably put that on on Richburg. Um, I think he's got a, he's got to be better than that. And then the fifth one, again, it's just the whole Benny Hill music thing, isn't it? It it was just a joke. Yeah, I mean the Richie James one. I think that was just pure bad luck with the timing. It's not often you're going to see any team do that. It was just a comical timing of the run. Slightly off. Had he, had he been a split second sooner or later, that ball would have been fine. Wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. It, it was just comical timing. And because it was the fifth turnover, and it came at a time when we thought, we're back in this game, 
but because of the other four turnovers, you, you kind of lost the will to be angry about it. You looked at it and you kind of yeah. laughed and you thought, yeah, yeah, that's how our look has gone today. Quickly take you back to Mostert. So you, you mentioned about Mostert having previous for, for fumbling the ball. I saw that today on Twitter. Somebody calling out Mostert saying he must do a, a much better job of securing the ball. So it started started my mind going, I wonder how many times he's fumbled the ball in his career. And granted, he's only taken, I think he's had 550 carries in five years, um, which surprised me that he's been around five years, but he has been around five years. He's never fumbled more than once in a season, and he's only got four fumbles over those five years. Yeah, I think it's fresh in your mind. I think it was his first, was it his first carry on the, in the game last season where he fumbled I think the ball? It was, you're right. Yeah, and I think that just sort of sticks in, in your head of, of sort of seeing it before. And you kind of, when you you know, you get a new running back in and he fumbles on his first possession, I think it sort of, uh, things like that sort of tend to stick in your head for a, a, a fair while. And I think that's probably why it's come up there, you know, or like I've mentioned there, that he has got previous, because I think that's probably still fresh in my head from last season. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, we made a couple of predictions on the um, the preview show. So what, what I, I really feel as though I need to say this. So three of these turnovers were in the red zone and two were on the Steelers' seven-yard line. That's another 21 points we could have had on the board. And based on that logic, I'm happy to report my prediction was of sound mind. <laughs> it might not have been the 49 I was aiming for, but it got bloody close to being 49. And I'm sticking with that. So, other negatives other than the turnovers, could can you pick any out? Um, I mean, our first five drives on Sunday were resulted in the four turnovers and a punt, and that surprised me, especially with how well we played in the uh, the two games. Um, obviously, with a spoon going off injured, Jason Verrett looked very off the pace, gave up a couple of big plays. And our pass protection surprised me. I mean, I know the Steelers threw the house at us. It was obvious they were going to come after Jimmy. But, I mean, I think he got hit eight times, went down for one sack. And obviously, a positive for me is kind of in the negative column. Jimmy kept the players alive. But when he's scrambling and running for his life, I think all of us in the group were thinking heart and mouth after the injury. And I'd like to see him get a bit more protection from that from our offensive line moving forward. Yeah, I made a point of sort of watching school early on and I thought he started really well. And it was only really when I started taking my eye off him in the fourth quarter that he started making mistakes. And I thought his blocking was pretty good. And then it kind of fell apart and was sort of, uh, yeah, three penalties in two drives at the end, didn't he? And I'm not really having that blindside block. That was, uh, I think that was a bit of a cheap call to me personally. So I was sort of, knock that down to say two penalties um, but I thought he was fine but on the other side of the line McGlinchey was awful that was probably his worst game that he's had yeah probably since he came into the league I would say and he looked consistently under pressure for the, almost the whole game I think McGlinchey only created as a 41 on PFF for uh, his game so you, you're right he, he did come on for two snaps but only two he had every other snap on on offense, but you're right. I'd, I'd noticed that. I thought he had a really poor game. 
I don't know how to explain that. I don't particularly think he came up against anybody that's better than what he's already come up against this season. No. Um, but he did. He, he had a pretty poor game. So, for me, one of the other real big negatives was the Witherspoon injury because he's done so excellent this season and has really turned the corner on what was a pretty poor second season, to be honest. Mm. He, he was actually looking like our best cornerback. And it's a real shame that he's going to be out for a month now. And I know Shanahan at first thought the injury wasn't as bad as what it's turned out to be. He, he thought he'd be back after the bye week. Um, but as it turns out, he's going to miss a few more games, which is a real shame. So any more negatives before we move on to the positives? Uh, various Moore's angles. Do you want to expand on that one? He's not very good, is he? <laughs> yeah. So we've what, we've seen in two games now that he's taken an absolutely atrocious angle on a wide receiver, and he's given up two huge touchdowns. So I was just about to say that was the angle on the uh, Juju Smith. Yeah, that was that's something that he's going to have to work on definitely if if we're having problems uh, in the secondary, and that is something that I can see. Jimmy Ward being slotted straight back in at, at safety should more continue to have problems um, if you know Jimmy Ward can actually get himself fit uh, and stay on the field for longer than uh, you know one or two games without getting injured again. So that probably blows my first positive out the water actually. <laughs> uh, now that you mentioned Moore, because my first positive was the the, the defense played lights out again and kept us in the game early doors when a touch of the Benny Hills affected our offense. Um, but now you mention it, yeah, you're right about Moore. Some of the angles he took weren't great. He's had a couple of good games. Um, he should have had an interception. I can't remember if it was the Bengals or the Buccaneers. It was the Buccaneers. Um, but I think he was already running halfway up the field before he actually made the catch. He doesn't look as bad as what we've had in the past. I think he's a capable player. I think if he just learns to be more intelligent about the angles he takes... I think he'll be a decent player to have in the squad, keeping the roster. Um, and, and to be honest, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. So, positives? Um, I mean, for me, I'm one of the biggest supporters of Jimmy G. Um, I know there's been a few negative comments in the group, but on Sunday, I thought he was very impressive. Um, he took care of the ball. He was putting it in the place where receivers couldn't run after the catch. Um, he hung in the pocket, like we've mentioned, took some big hits. And he was doing whatever he could to keep the offence moving and staying ahead of the chains. Um, and like you said, he just, I think Brian touched upon it earlier about him looking elite, looking like the quarterback we know he can be. And that game-winning throw, it just took guts. You know, he threw it in the traffic. He didn't let the turnovers affect him. And like you said, I think it was his best game. And it showed that he's basically can do what he can do in this offence. Yeah, so, I mean, I've got down Jimmy's taking hits, getting back up again, which is good to see. Sorry, it's good to see him getting back up again. It's not good to see him taking hits. I'd <laughs> rather he wasn't taking hits. But he is getting back up again. And it doesn't seem to be phasing him at all. He isn't forcing throws that aren't there. His touchdown pass to Pettis was on the money. It was absolutely spot on for Pettis. And it's a good job that he did catch it because there's two defenders there around him. And... As I said, I don't think he's been affected by the turnovers and his pocket presence has, has been absolutely excellent. 
Yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen us turn the ball over two or three times with sort of Alex Smith and, and, and these kind of guys at quarterback and then they're going out there and they're forcing even more and, and it's just, we're just sort of getting worse and worse, aren't we? It's uh, Jimmy just seems to, nothing seems to phase him at the minute and how many turnovers, oh, how many times would you see a quarterback who'd, who'd have those two interceptions in quick succession then just sort of fall apart after that it, it just doesn't seem to phase him at all and and like we've sort of covered there the, the the fact that he's got pressure caving in on him and he's still making those throws he's coming back from ridiculous turnovers and winning the game late on in the fourth quarter after you know balls in up center exchanges and and two i mean tipped up um interceptions it, he's uh he's he's, he's becoming a better quarterback week by week in front of our eyes and it's, it's brilliant if, if he can keep that going for the season I think people should be really really excited about it Do you think he's going to have a tough game against the Browns after the bye week? I don't know I haven't seen the Browns highlights from are they on Sunday night on Monday night I've got it saved on my skybox to watch still so uh, I've not uh, I've not seen much of the Browns yet right, So that, that's Monday night and I think it's uh, on the offensive side of the ball that the Browns are stalling this season because they do have right. a pretty good um, defence. Miles Garrett, I believe, is leading with the sacks. Um, obviously, they've got Denzel Ward. I, I would have liked to have seen the 49ers pick him up. He's a good uh, cornerback. And they've got some really good uh, pieces on defence, which is why I'm wondering whether or not, j- just because the offence isn't playing very well, I wonder whether or not this could be another banana skin. But, of course, we'll, we'll find out after the... Um, after the bye week, so yeah. So Paul, what what did you make of the run game? Um, I mean, first half it was non-existent, but I think we've covered our offense didn't exist in the first half. Um, second half, I mean, when Jeff Wilson Jr. went over, it was the first time that we'd uh, had a running back with two rushing touchdowns in consecutive games since the Frank Gore in yeah. the 2013 season. And I think it just settled us down. It gave us the confidence. I mean, obviously, against the Bengals, we just seemed to be running over them every time we had the ball. But I think the run game could have been slightly better on Sunday. But, I mean, we're sat here at three and all. You know, it's well touched upon. We started bad. But what about yourself, Lee? What did you make of the run game? So, pretty pretty similar to that. Um, what I did notice, exactly what you just said there, and it was the same as against the Bengals. In the first half, we, we struggled to get the run game going. We only put 50 yards on them in the first half. But then the second half, we put a further 118 yards on them. So we kind of kicked into another gear in the second half as far as the run game was concerned. So, I mean, that, that's 168 yards on the ground that we've put up against them. We, we're still averaging about 171 yards a game, which to me is excellent for a run game. It means that it takes the pressure off Jimmy having to throw the ball and it also makes sure that opposing teams' defences, it keeps them honest and they need to look for the run as well as the pass. So that they can't really stack the box against the run because they know Jimmy's going to pass on them. And that they can't keep on playing a nickel cornerback because they know we can run on them. So it's going to be difficult for opposing teams to actually defend against the, the offence that Shanahan's put in. You're setting it up nicely for play action as well, aren't you? Because if you've got a run game that's so good, it, it, it's you, you're just playing into the into the hands of baiting the defense into making a mistake, playing for the run, and then beating them over the top. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
So I, I don't know why I've got this through as a positive. Oh, I do know why I've got this as a positive. I'm thinking, well, that's surely a negative. So we had our very first three and out of the season, and that actually came midway through <laughs> the third quarter. And that, that's incredible, considering how we've played for the last four or five years. To, to go three games or two games and three and a half quarters, I think that's absolutely excellent. So that's why I've got that as a positive. Um, Kittle was Kittle. He, he was back to catching the ball, putting the yards on. But he can also block. He blocks really well. And I really enjoy it when he does block. You can see the happiness mm. in his face because he's hit someone. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and the, the, perfect, um, the, the perfect, not analogy, but the perfect example of that is he obviously rocked up to WWE. After the game, <laughs> and he's there with Jimmy G, um, Trent Taylor, and, and a few others. Yeah, Chuck and Beer watching that. So that's the mentality of them. They, they like to get stuck in there. They like a good fight. So it's really pleasing to see that. Yeah, George Kittle's starting to remind me of the days when I was a kid watching Brent Jones play tight yeah. end. Yeah, you can always tell he enjoyed playing it as well. Mm. Yeah. So just a few stats of uh, to do with the positives. So the defence restricted the Steelers to 239 yards total offence. Nick Bosa once again led the defence with seven quarterback pressures, and that's 17 for the season now, ranking them sixth overall. Now, I did see in the group somebody mentioned, um, I think it was late in the game, hadn't realised Bosa was playing. And I was sat there thinking, well, you've got to be kidding us, right? Because he was always there. He was always in the mix. And... The, the stats don't lie. I mean, he led the team with seven quarterback pressures. So I, mm. I think he's done a great job. And I think the stat that people are really looking for is the sack total. And yeah. that's that's not necessarily a, a good stat to look for. Not when you've got so many pieces on defense that can get a sack. Because we pressurizing the quarterback into making mistakes. That, that was evident against the Buccaneers and Jamie Winston. He was making mistakes purely because of the pressure that was coming at him. Uh, and that's the difference with the defence. So I wouldn't look at Nick Bosa. I wouldn't judge him on sack, sack total. I would look at what he's doing for the rest of the defence. And he's Yeah, you've got to look at the pressures and the that's hits. That's right. He's making opportunities for other members of the defence to get through there and sack the quarterback. I mean, touching upon that, Lee, like you said there, Brian said earlier, and I agree with him, Stats don't tell the full story, you know, when you sat watching the no. game. Um, admittedly, I don't watch a lot of college football and I didn't know what really to expect from him when we drafted him. And this season, he's been he's been amazing. Like you said, on Sunday, yeah, he wasn't sacking the quarterback, but he was there. How many times was he just breaking through the line and he was putting pressure on um, Rudolph? And when I seen that comment, I thought, wow, I'm watching a different game because he's there and you can't ask any more of him since he's come into the league. Yeah, yeah. So one other positive I got down. Um, so Brian's already mentioned it. School. I, I thought I thought he did well. I thought it was justified in the late holding call in the fourth quarter, because I'd rather take a ten-yard penalty than see me quarterback flattened. And I think he yeah. knew straight away that's it. He, he's passed there. He's free. He's got a free run at Jimmy. So he held him. And yes, it was when we were trying to get a touchdown and um, take the lead in the game. But I think he made the right decision to do what he did. Because, as I said, I'd rather take a 10-yard penalty and go again than see me quarterback flattened and out for the rest of the season. Right, so 
do you have any more positives? Because I've got a couple of stats here. I thought Quan Alexander had a good game. Yes, he again. continues to look really good. Starting to really look the part again. Um, I thought Armstead was great. Buckner played well. Well, the, the, as you just sort of said there, the whole D-line as well, we both, or all three of us have said now, the whole D-line as, as a unit were, were fantastic. And, and we're doing that predominantly with a four-man rush, which was enough to force Rudolph into, you know, hurried passes, into mistakes, into throwing incomplete passes downfield. And we're not overly reliant on blitzing to get that pressure and we're allowing the coverage guys the time to be able to do their jobs and the, the linebackers chance to, to to make the tackles and to, and to make you know to do their jobs as well and, and get into coverage so you can see immediately the what Ford and, and Bosa have brought to the table just by the amount of pressure and the amount of um, you know um, hits and forced errors they're putting on corner on quarterbacks and on on, on the both sides of the tack of the O-line on the tackles, that they're creating all of the chances for the turnovers. We've already equaled or bettered our turnover total for last season in three games this year. And and predominantly that is down to the pressure that these guys on both ends are causing, which is causing our defence to look a hundred times better than what it was last season. And if you look at it really, the defence completely bailed us out Sunday. Yeah, you're not wrong there. <laughs> I mean, touching upon the defence, Williams was outstanding. I mean, I'm probably preaching to the converted, but he was, you know, he was not just for his interception. He was great in the pass coverage. He was great against the run. He seemed confident. I mean, he, I think he got a passer rating of about, the louder passer rating of about 16.7. And he was definitely on the team of the week on something I've seen on Twitter today. Yeah, that was and on he just, CSF. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, no, I was just saying, and for me, he was fantastic. Like you said, obviously, people look at the big players. The interception obviously got us back in the game. Um, and I know, I think he was good against Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, I know we gave up the big touchdown to him. But other than that, he didn't really do a great deal against us on Sunday. No, I would agree with that. I mean, that was a huge chunk of yardage from the um, Steelers' offence. And obviously, the vast majority of the yards that uh, Juju got. So, yeah. And you're right, so Kiwan Williams and Juice, they were the two that ended up in the PFF um, team of the week. Both of them grading in, at, I think it was 92, 93, um, mm. which is absolutely fantastic for us as a team um, to have one on offence, one on defence. And it does show how far we've come over the last two seasons. And it's pleasing to see, obviously, we're going to judge this season off whether or not we make the playoffs. But it is pleasing to see at this stage already, after just three games, it's evident to anyone that watches the game, we are much better than what we've been the last two seasons. Yeah. So I'll just throw these stats out at you. So go back to the start of the show, we are talking about 3-0. and all. And um, again, there's a lot of people that probably don't realise this because it's been that long since we went 3-0, that they may not read into the stats as, as much as other people do. So, based on the strength of schedule for the rest of the season and an assumed win-loss prediction through to the end of the regular season, the 49ers have a 60% chance of making the playoffs because they've gone 3-0. Now, compare that with the Seahawks, who have actually started 2-1, and one, so that's only one game less than us. They actually only have a 33% chance, statistically speaking. Obviously, statistics can be blown completely out the water. But this is all done off history or over all the years, having a look at how teams start. And historically, if you start 3-0, and 
you've got a 60% chance of making the playoffs. Um, and obviously that's also based on the strength of schedule. Whereas starting two and one, it's only a 33% chance. So the three and all start is huge. Statistically speaking, hard work to say that. <laughs> We've got people saying we haven't played anyone yet. I say great, fantastic. Underestimate us at your peril. Mm. Because even though we've played teams that don't have, particularly have a very good uh, win-loss ratio at the moment, it doesn't mean the bad teams. It means they've either had enough game or they've come up against a really good team. You, you need to take that into consideration. Now, people are looking at the 49ers and thinking, well, you know, we had the second overall pick in the draft because we were that poor. We were probably one of the best second pick draft teams ever. <laughs> Our, our our record, obviously your record doesn't lie, but it doesn't show how good we could have been had all of our players been fit. So, yeah, I think if people are going to underestimate us, crack on, over the moon with that, call us underdogs all the way through the season. I'll be over the moon. Yeah, I've actually said that it's about a 75% chance of making the playoffs if you're 3-0. and Right. So I think this, so this one was adjusted for the assumed win-loss yeah. prediction. Right, OK. I mean, of course, you know, it doesn't mean anything, of course, does it? But the odds really are in our favour. And essentially now, what to do that, what we need to do is seven and six. So you're playing with house money. Yeah. And and if and if you look at the, the schedule now, Cleveland is a winnable game. The Rams, then you can, you, you're probably going to write off. And any probably real, realistic thinking fan will probably accept that. But you just never know. Washington away at the minute. It's a winnable game. Carolina at home, it's winnable. Arizona, I think we should go 2-0 and against Arizona this year. And then if you can split those home games against Seattle and, and the Rams, I mean, by the time we play the Rams and even the Seahawks in week 16 and 17, who knows what position they're going to be in by that point. Yeah. We've, we've got another two-week road trip coming up as well. Well, not coming up, but late on in the season where we go to Baltimore and New Orleans. And if the team have got any common sense and, and learning from recent history, they'll stay out wet, out east again and, and base themselves out there for the fortnight. I think they'd, they'd be foolish not to if they're even in more of a position to be making the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. So we now move on to our bye week. I can't actually remember the last time it was so early. I've tried to find some sort of historical stats that tells you each team's bye week over the years and I can't find Yeah, it. I don't think we've ever had one this early. Yeah, but to be honest, I think it comes at a good time as far as injuries are concerned, um, especially mm. for the likes of Witherspoon and Steely, who are going to miss one less game due to the timing. Because I think generally our bye week is week eight and after. It's generally always a late bye week for us. However, having said that, the bye week has been cruel to the 49ers over the last five uh, games after a bye week. We, we've lost each game. Going back to 2014, every game after a bye week we've lost... So, in the words of Steve Young, it will be good to get that monkey off our back. Yeah, oh, definitely. Do either one of you have any more points to make before I do the wrap-up? Uh, I thought Pettis had a good game on Sunday as well. I think he had a quite high PFF grading. Um, it's good to have him back. Um, sort of come back with a bang, really, didn't he, after having two quiet weeks and or two almost non-existent weeks to the season. Um, he's drawn the penalty at the end which led to the go-ahead touchdown which he then caught himself he still had a bit of work to do on that ball from Jimmy didn't he he attacked it pulled it in for the score 
and I think that's a huge step forward for him. Game, you know, game-winning catch might be a bit dramatic to say that it's a sort of redemption for him, but he's it's good to see him back and performing and another, you know, offensive option as as the season progresses. And we've got Jalen Hurd potentially back after the bye week as well. So I'm glad you used the term redemption there because that's what I was going to say in my question to you. Do you think he has redeemed himself in the eyes of Shanahan? <laughs> because one one of the things I've seen, I think it was the interview, the post-game interview, and Shanahan had mentioned that Pettis had looked really good in the weight room. So I'm assuming when he's come back after the off-season um, break, Shanahan was expecting him to be bigger. So I think you must have given him some sort of target to come back, get yourself in the weight room, yeah. make you bigger, make yourself bigger, because he made a point of mentioning this in the interview to say he's worked really hard in the weight room this week. He's done some really good work. So it was interesting to hear that because it kind of gives you a story without actually telling you the story of what's happened off the off season or why why there was this atmosphere between the two of them. I mean, I mean, I will say I have been impressed with our wide receivers this season. I mean, obviously. Yeah. D-Bow's coming, been really good, good win. I think, like Brian was saying before, we've got, we're a bit of a threat now. People don't know who to cover. We've got a decent run game going. We've got a good set of receivers. I mean, Pettis, is, I'm glad he's back. He was one of my favourites from last year. And like you said, there's definitely something behind the scenes, but it seems to be put to bed. And let's see, moving forward, be good to get him back in the mix. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right, great. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Brian. As always, it's been a pleasure. And thank you, Paul. No problem. Hope you've enjoyed being on the show once more. And I'm sure you'll be sticking your name down again to come on. Yeah, thanks for having me. A pleasure as always. No problem. Thank you for dropping me everything at short notice as well. That's much appreciated. I hope you didn't drop everything. <laughs> <laughs> he was so eager to come on, he dropped everything. So tonight, date night for Paul and his uh, girlfriend. And he just dropped it. He says, no, nah, I need to do the podcast. I'm going on that. Right, so also thanks to our listeners, without whom we'd just be some sad individuals recording the conversation on Skype, which is never good. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes if you haven't already. And why not send us some questions to answer? It could be on anything. The, the team, the season, the team's history or even visiting San Francisco. And I will quite happily palm those questions off to our guests. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, guys. Go Niners. We love the San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurts, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Groovy, Walgreens, Bill Belichick, where all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget.